Hi, this is Felix Chimeranyika, lead pastor of Kairos Christian Center in Lelonga, Malawi. I am happy that you have joined us for the Kairos Lelonga podcast, and I believe God is going to inspire you and break you through into your kingdom destiny as you hear the word unpacked. This is your Kairos moment, God's appointed season for your kingdom breakthrough. And we're going through the epistles of Paul to the Thessalonians, and this is a series that we're calling Tough People, Tough Times. And I'd love for you to turn in your Bibles or to turn on your phone or whatever device that you're using to uh, read the Word of God. But turn with me please to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 1, all the way down to verse number 12. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, verse number 1, all the way down to verse number 12. Hear the Word of the Lord. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we give you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles do, who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more. And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. All men are like grass, and their glory like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God lives on forever. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer. Holy Spirit, we ask you, may you speak to our hearts. May you toughen us in these tough times. And may you make us people that truly represent you, Almighty God, and truly love the world around us. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray, Amen. Amen, Amen. Our sermon title this morning is character in tough times. Character in tough times. We're living in tough times. This COVID-19 uh, pandemic really is a hard thing. The whole world over, life has changed. We don't do things the same way that we used to. These are tough times. And somebody said, if you want to see how somebody is or how something is, put it under pressure. So they give an example of a snake. Step on the snake and it lashes out, it bites. Step on a worm, it squishes out. What's inside comes out of it. And in a sense, what is happening around us are things, especially as we think of the COVID-19 pandemic, is something that is showing people's character and people's motives. A friend of mine told me the day before yesterday, he said he works for an international organization and was saying that they had offered money to a government department, about $150 million. And they had asked him to make a budget for the COVID-19 response and the budget came back and $50 million was set aside for just allowances and stuff like that. Can you imagine that? Somebody else tells me that they had asked somebody how much they would be charging for making face masks. 
you know, with the cloth, Chitanja uh, cloth and stuff like that. And they said, oh, it's going to be 1,000 kwacha. And yet when they calculated how much it was actually going to cost them, it was 100 kwacha, less than 200 kwacha actually. Tough times reveal the character of tough people or reveal the character of people. In this COVID-19 season, my friend, how are you behaving? And this passage that we're reading this morning reminds us that God expects His people to show godly character in tough times. God expects His people to show godly character in tough times. And I think when we look at this passage, we see three things that come to us that tell us, or three concepts that tell us about how we are to act in a godly manner or with godly character when it comes to these troubled times. Number one, I want you to watch the duty of godly character. The duty of godly character. We have a duty as believers to please God by living according to what we have been taught about the faith. We have the duty to please God by living according to what we have been taught about the faith. And so again, chapter number 4, verse number 1 of First Thessalonians. Paul says, finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Remember again, Paul is writing to this church of the Thessalonians, and he comes to this church, actually plants this church in Acts chapter number 17. He's there for three weeks, he preaches in the synagogue, and there is such a, a welcoming uh, atmosphere for Paul's message that leading women of the city, as well as Gentiles that feared God, they come and master the Lord. And then the Jewish people that were, you know, the, the ones that were running the synagogue, they get jealous of Paul. And they incite a mob to go to Jason's house. And Jason was a guy that was keeping Paul and his friends to, to go to Jason's house. And, and they started a riot. And the city authorities heard about it. And, and, uh, and this city of uh, Thessalonica, being a Roman colony, uh, did not want to have that kind of trouble. Because what Paul and his friends were being accused of was that they were saying there is another king other than Caesar. In other words, they were accusing them of rebellion. And so the authorities knew that is a very dangerous thing because if news of that gets to Rome, their city was going to be in trouble, the authorities were going to be in trouble. And so they proceeded to get some security from Jason and Paul and his friends decided to leave the city. And so Paul and his friends, they left this church in trouble. It started off in trouble, they have left them in trouble, and Paul has sent Timothy to go and check on them, and now Timothy has brought back news about how they are doing. And so Paul now is writing to them, and kind of like just checking on them, and finding out where is it that they are at in their faith. Right? And so now, in the context of their affliction, in the context of their opposition against the gospel that they are facing, Paul is writing this letter. And he says, finally, we ask and urge you in the Lord that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. What is it that they had received? They had received instructions. They had received traditions, Christian teaching from Paul. Remember, Paul was somebody that was an apostle. And so Paul, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, what he did was to lay the foundation of the revelation of Jesus Christ in the lives of people and so that a church started. And so, here again, he's reminding them that, listen, you know what you received from us, the teaching you received from us, and you know how to walk. In other words, our teaching was about how you ought to be living your life. And true Christian teaching really impacts life. In fact, the thing that changes anybody's life is the teaching. 
No, miracles don't change anybody's life. The healings don't change anybody's life. In terms of your walking and being obedient to God, it's the teaching. Because it is in the mind, in the teaching, as the mind, as, as a man thinketh, so say Jesus, so is he. In other words, what you think, coming from what you're taught, is how you're going to live. And so Paul is reminding them, you have received, you have been taught from us that you should live your life a particular way, you should walk your life a particular way, and so please continue doing that so that you please God. And ultimately, my friend, the whole goal of human existence is to please God. You know, the Westminster Catechism asked the question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is, is to glorify God and enjoy Him. Yes, and so that's what he's reminding them of. He's reminding them of the things that he has taught them. He's reminding them that you should walk in those things and you should walk in such a way that you please God. And he's saying, and we know you're doing this already. And so you should do, you should do this more and more. And this is very commendable. This is an, uh, a young church, but a young church that is on fire for God, that is living for God. And then verse number two, he says, For you know what instructions we give you through the Lord Jesus. You know what instructions, you know what we told you. The word for instructions there is also a word that is a military term and can be used of orders. So they were ordered. Now I would imagine Paul, the one that met Jesus on the road to Damascus, the one that was so consumed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The one who said that I, I, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is, it, 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 it is the thing that brings salvation to Jew and Gentile alike. I'm sure there was one thing on his mind. It was the gospel. And that what he had ordered them was that he, or was that they should be a people that had taken the gospel to the ends of the world. And Paul has already commended the Thessalonians because he says, he says of them that they, they became imitators of him as he had imitated God. And that they also were imitators of the churches in Jerusalem that were being persecuted. And so if there's one thing that Paul had drilled into these people, an instruction that he had given them was get this gospel to the ends of the world, get this gospel into your spheres of influence, and get everybody that you know, that you do not know, to hear about the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And that is in line with Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, the Great Commission where Jesus commissions his disciples to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all the things that Jesus had taught them. I believe that the church in Thessalonica understood that they are witnesses. That God had called them to witness. Yes, to witness in preaching and in power with signs and wonders and miracles. To witness about Jesus Christ. Out of what God had done for them, what God had done in, in, in their salvation, in sending his, his Son to down the cross for their sins, there must have been inside them the appreciation and the gratefulness for, for, uh, to God for what He had done for them in Christ Jesus. And therefore, they understood themselves as witnesses. So they are continuing on in their duty, in their pleasure, in serving God as witnesses. And Paul is calling them, continue in your duty 
And that's the very same thing for you and for me today, my friend, that in this COVID-19 pandemic, this crisis that is around us, God has called us to do our duty of taking this gospel to the ends of the world. People need to know about Jesus. In fact, the healing that they need, the salvation of the soul that they need even more is found in Jesus Christ. And you and me have been called to be a people that tell these people about Jesus Christ, that there is salvation in Jesus Christ. So we have a duty. We have a duty. Character, godly character is seen in the duty of our godly character that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like I told you, three concepts here about how we can live godly characters or we can have godly character in this crisis time, in this tough time. Number one, the duty of godly character. And then number two, I want you to watch the purity of godly character. The purity of godly character. We're called to sexual purity and to be different from the world. And again here Paul is reminding the church in verse number three. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. What's God's will for your life? Your sanctification. What is sanctification? It's also called holiness. What is holiness? Does holiness mean something is very bright? Mm -mm. No. Holiness means something is separated for God's use. To sanctify something is to separate something for godly use. And so, Paul is saying that the will of God upon your life is your sanctification. That you would separate your life to the purposes of God. Now, does that mean that you should stop everything and go start preaching, go be a missionary somewhere? Does that, is that what this means? Well, it doesn't mean just that. In fact, probably you're not called, not many of us are called to leave everything and to go and serve God somewhere. But God has called you to serve God wherever you are. Yes, He has called you to serve God in your profession, to serve God in your school, to serve God in your neighborhood. That's why He has called you in your sphere of influence and He expects you that you would separate your life to Him. That's why Paul can write to the Colossians and say whatever it is that you do in word or in deed, you do it as unto God and not as unto man. That is holiness. That is separation. When you do your homework as unto God, holiness. When you do your work, your chore in the house as unto God, holiness. When you do the accounts as a bookkeeper as unto God, holiness. When you do everything that you do as unto God, holiness. So Paul is reminding them. That, verse number three, that for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Now he starts zeroing in on particular things. So he says, first of all, their sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That you abstain from sexual immorality. Now, for us to understand God's will when it comes to sexuality, we really have to go to the beginning. We have to go to Genesis. Genesis chapter number 2. And I'd like for you to turn with me there. Genesis chapter number 2. Right at the end there, when there's a, after the creation of man, we see that the first family comes together. Right? So, Genesis chapter number 2. I'll start reading from verse number 18. He says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make a helper feet for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. 
But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Now this is the second time he's saying there was no helper fit for Adam. In verse number 18 it says so. Verse number, uh, in verse number 20, at, at the end there, it says so again. Verse number 21 says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its flesh. And, and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and they were not ashamed. Listen, when the Bible says here that they shall become one flesh, it's actually talking about sexual union. That the man and his wife, because the man has left, has left his mother and, and his father and has come together with, 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 with this woman, with his wife. And I want you to notice something that many times is forgotten nowadays. Sex is for people that are married. That's what it's for. It's for people that are married, that are showing, that are consummating their love for each other. Yes, God has brought them together. And so because God has brought them together to bring about his purposes, that's what was happening with Adam and Eve. God had put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, in the world actually, to bring about his purposes. He had told them to fill the earth and multiply. So in other words, this arrangement here is the arrangement that God expects to happen in the earth. Because the reason he brings the man and the woman is so that together they can fulfill his purpose of being, um, of having, of bringing his dominion into the earth and also of populating the earth. Here's what it means. It means, as far as God is concerned, sex is for marriage. Man and woman. Not man and man, not woman and woman. Man and man, woman and woman, will not bring about the purposes of God. Because not only must they consummate their love, but they must also come at a place where they replenish the earth. And so then, when we speak of sexual morality in the context of the Bible, we're saying it must happen in the context of a monogamous marriage. Or a one woman, one man marriage. That's where sex is supposed to happen. Before people are married, no, it is wrong, it is a sin. It is committing adultery. And so, Paul is very plain with these people that are probably living, in fact, are living in this big city called Thessalonica. It says, uh, it is said that around that time there were about 100,000 people in Thessalonica. It was a big city. It was the capital of Macedonia. And like big cities, you know, people have all sorts of loose morals and stuff like that. Right? And so then, let's go back to... to to uh, Thessalonians chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. So then, Paul adds on what it is that their holiness or being sanctified is about. So first of all, he says that God expects them that they are not going to walk in sexual immorality, so they should abstain from sexual immorality. And then he says, verse number 4, Again, in fact, no, I'm, I'm, yes, I'm in verse number four. That each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust that the Gentiles who do not know, like the Gentiles who do not know God. He says there should be self-control. So, talking about sexual morality is also about control. It is you that controls you. 
God has given you the ability to control your body. And so Paul is saying, you must control yourself. And Paul elsewhere in Galatians chapter number 6, he speaks of the fruit of the Spirit, and one of those things is actually self-control. Galatians chapter number 5, one of those things is self-control. Watch. Do not be like the Gentiles. And he says, the, not in the passion of, of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. So he says, sexual morality or sexual immorality starts with lust. In fact, let's go to Matthew chapter number 5, where we have the Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense, explaining or, 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 or talking about the, the Ten Commandments. One of the Ten Commandments actually says that you shall not commit adultery. But Jesus, when he's explaining the Ten Commandments, he actually shows God's greater standard. So, in chapter number 5 of Matthew, and we go on to verse number 27, Here's what he says. He says, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with the lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So as far as God is concerned, sexual morality starts with lust. So no, it's not you're doing it. Uh-uh. It's actually you're thinking it. So your thinking is what directs your doing. God's standard says, no, I'm not waiting on the doing because the doing is just a fulfillment of something that's already inside. I'm actually looking at the motive. So Jesus here says, no, understand committing adultery is not about sleeping with somebody. Committing adultery is about the lustful thought in your heart, the lustful intent in your heart. Already you've committed adultery. Listen. When it comes to sexual morality... We must understand, it always starts with the mind. In fact, somebody has said that the greatest sexual organ is actually the mind. And today with internet and, you know, and, and all the things that you find, you find some really good things on the internet, like sermon, hearing the word of God, but you also find some crazy things on the internet, pornography and, and all sorts of things like those. And so don't, don't keep yourself to say, no, I'm only watching, I'm not actually doing it. No, God is looking at your heart. He's looking at the last inside there. And friend, let me tell you something. Only God can help you to purge those thoughts. Yes, Paul writes in, in the, he writes to the Romans, he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. In other words, get into the Word of God. When you get into the Word of God, the Word of God will give you a passion for the things of God and it will take you away from sin. Paul continues, as we go back again to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, and right now we're in verse number 5, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, Verse number 6, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter, because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you. He's saying it's possible that somebody can transgress his brother, can wrong his brother. So, brother or sister, that's the understanding here, can wrong each other when they are engaged in sexual acts outside of the marriage covenant. And you know it's sad? that during times like these of crisis, that some people take advantage of other people because the other people are poor. So we've heard of organizations and people that work for organizations that are in relief and helping out people, how they take advantage of the people they're supposed to be helping and 
give aid on the condition of getting sexual favors. That is wrong. That should not be done by Christians. And brother, sister, if you are working for, uh, if you are a Christian and working out there and helping other people, do not use your position of authority as something that you can transgress brothers and sisters in this area of sexuality. And watch what Paul says in verse number 7. He says, For God has not called us to impurity, but in holiness. He says, Our calling as Christians, God has called us not to impurity, but to holiness, to separate our lives to His purposes. Verse number 7, For God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards what? What he's saying about abstaining from sexual morality. Whoever disregards this, disregards not man, not, regard, not, not disregarding Paul, not disregarding the preacher, but disregarding God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Paul is very serious about this issue of sexual morality. Paul is very serious. He's saying, it's not about me saying this, this is what God is saying. Friend, we should be serious in this time, in this season, when there is a crisis around us. Let's project ourselves, in fact, let's present ourselves as people of God, people of purity, people that other people can trust. We're not out there to exploit other people. Three concepts coming out of this text about character and tough times. Number one, the duty of godly character. Number two, purity of godly character. And then finally, number three, the charity of godly character. Believers are expected to love others and to live orderly lives before the world. Believers are expected to love others and to live orderly lives before the world. Now it says in verse number nine, it says, Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you're doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. So watch, again, Paul is commending these guys. You guys already love each other, but this is something that God commanded you and you must do. Friend, listen. The commandments in the Old Testament, the Ten Commandments, when somebody comes to Jesus in Matthew chapter number 22 and, and asks him, so uh, which one is the most important of the Ten Commandments? He says, well, the, the first and foremost is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. But the second one is as equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus went on to, te to teach his disciples that just as he had loved his disciples, Jesus expected his disciples to love one another. In fact, just as the Father had loved him, although he and the Father, there was love between them, he expected that there should be that kind of love amongst the brothers, amongst the disciples. In fact, he told them, a new commandment I give to you, that you should have love for one another. Love is what separates us, those of us that, are, that say we are Christians, from those that are not Christians. Because Christianity is about love. In fact, love is something that the devil can't fake. He can fake the miracles, he can fake breakthroughs and whatever, but he can never fake love. Nobody can ever fake love. Soon you'll find out. And so, Paul is reminding them that listen, your love for one another. You're already doing this, do it more and more. In other words, there can never be enough of the love between the, the, the brethren in the church. Hallelujah. Oh, may you show some love in this COVID-19 season. Listen, love is supposed to start in the church of Jesus Christ. 
We know there was the announcement of the lockdown. We know there was the court injunction against the 21, lock, 21 day lockdown. And we know why. The reason is, how can you lock down the country and you have people that are living from hand to mouth who don't have any means of making money during the lockdown. And so the court injunction was sought so that they can stop the government to say, wait a minute, take care of these people. Take care of the poor. Take care of the ones that are living day by day because they, they don't have money or savings or anything like that. Sure, the government needs to do that. That's why we have government. That's why we pay taxes. That's why we're citizens. The government is supposed to take care of our citizens. But friend, how about you and I in the church? What are we doing with our brothers and our sisters that have nothing? Have we, are we going to provide for them? We know that you know, the way that we're going to beat COVID-19 is actually staying at home to reduce the infections. See, it must start with you. It must start with me. We must start in our churches. We should find out the people that are needed in our churches and we should mobilize food, mobilize things that they need so that we can give to them and they can survive through this 21-day lockdown. A lockdown must happen at some point in time because that's the way we curb this thing. But the big issue is, where is your love? Who are you sharing with? Who are you giving with? Paul is saying in this tough time, please show your charity, show your love by loving your brother, loving your sister. And here's what he says in verse number 10. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, do this more and more. Yes, you've done something, but do some more. Show some more love. Let the world around you know that you are a loving person and that you are a reflection of the love of God, that you have come into that community, you have come into that office so that you can show the love of God to people. And Paul says, but we urge you, verse number 10, and then we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly. Now he's starting to talk about how they ought to be living with other people. To aspire to live quietly, not quarreling. Not picking a fight every time. Uh-uh. To aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs. Not to get busy with other people's business. Listen, all of us have our own races to run. You have your race to run. I have my race to run. But here's where we get deceived. We start, I start thinking that because stuff is working out for you, then I should start running your race. I'm going to fail that race. God has given me a race. God has given me a destiny. I should mind my own affairs. I should look at how is it that I'm going to make myself better at what I do, what God has called me to do. So he says again, to mind your own affairs. And he says, to work with your own hands as we instructed you. Now this is interesting because Paul mentions this in the next chapter about working with your own hands. And again, in, in, the, in, the, in the next epistle, he, speaks, he talks about that those that, should, that, that do not work, they should not eat. So probably there are people at the church in Thessalonica who are saying or who are believing Jesus is going to come anytime. And because Jesus is going to come anytime, we don't have to be working. But here's the problem. If you're not working and you have to eat, you will end up having to eat from somebody's labor. And so that's what is happening with them. They are eating other people's labor. They are using other people so they can have an existence. Paul says it's wrong. He says you should work 
with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. Watch, Paul is saying, it's not just about you showing love to your brothers, showing love to your sisters. It's also about how the world perceives you. Because when the world sees you, they are seeing a child of God, and you better represent a child of God. So when you work hard, when you make your own money, when you take care of yourself, take care of your family, and take care of other people's needs, the needy around you, you are walking properly, you are giving a good impression to the world. So Paul says, walk properly and be dependent on no one. Oh friend, in this season, may you be a person that is charitable. May you be a person that is loving, sharing and caring with those around you. May you be a person that is working hard. May you be a person that is ensuring that your responsibilities are taken care of. The world is watching. The world is watching. They're trying to see, so who's the real Christian? Remember your duty. The duty of God, the character. You're a witness. God has called you to be a witness. May you show people that Jesus loves them. May you show people the way to eternal life through Jesus Christ. That's your duty. That's your duty. God has called you to be a witness. Yes, there's your duty and there's also your purity. May you be a person that is walking uprightly. May you shun evil. May you run away from things that will cause you to stumble and fall and lose your witness amongst people. May you walk a life of sexual purity. And then also, with this godly character, may you be charitable. May you love people. That's what he has called us. So you are able to make the face mask and it's costing you 200 kwacha. Why don't you charge 200 kwacha? Why don't you charge what it costs? You're doing this for somebody to show God's love to somebody. So you're administrating the COVID-19 funds for the whole nation. For now, why don't you forget your allowances? Because there are people that are going to die if they don't get some food. And we don't have that much money as a country. And so why don't you forego? That's your charity. That's your love. Christians out there, let's show godly character in this tough time. Hallelujah. Listen, how do you get this character? Well, you only get this character because it doesn't come natural. You only get this character in trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And here's how it starts. It starts with you believing in your heart that Jesus is God. That God raised him from the dead when he was killed. And that he has a hold of eternal life. And he has defeated death. And he's able to save you and to come back for you and to take you into eternal life. All it takes is a prayer. You can repeat this prayer after me. Believing. Believing. And God the Holy Spirit is going to come into your heart. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I ask you that you forgive me of all my sins. I'm a sinner. But I ask you, you wash me in your blood. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Make me in your creation. Break every chain of sin in my life. And even sexual sin over my life. Break its hold. 
In your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, would love to get connected to you. Please send us a message on the Facebook Messenger. Send us a message, however it is that you can. would love to get in contact with you. But you may be there too and you're saying, I, I have a need for healing. I, I am sick. I need God to touch me. Our God is a healer. Our God is a healer. In fact, He has made a promise. He has said He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us. And so that when we are sick, we are supposed to call to Him and He will answer us. That's a default setting. Whether He heals or not, at times depends on Him, to His will. But He has asked us that we should pray for healing. And so I want to pray for healing for you that God would touch you and heal you. Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name, may you bring you healing on that person. You have said in your word that he was wounded for iniquities, he was bruised for transgressions, and the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. And so, Father, we pronounce you healing over our bodies in Jesus' mighty name. And Father, we also want to pray for wisdom. We want to pray for wisdom for the doctors and the nurses and the scientists to come up, Almighty God, with the with, 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 with proper treatment, to come up with a cure, to come up with a vaccine. May you empower them. May you give them your wisdom, Almighty God, so that we can solve this COVID-19 pandemic. In Jesus' mighty name. I want to pray for you if you have a financial need right now. Father, I pray for that person that has a financial need. You are the one who knows what we need even before we ask of you, Almighty God. And so, Father, I pray may you come into their situation and may you help them in that situation. May you help them with the monies that they need. May you help them with everything that they need, even the connections that they need, so that, Father, they can survive through this COVID-19 season. We thank you, Father, because you are the one that provides for us. Amen. You may be there again. I haven't mentioned the things that you're going through. I still want to pray for you because God knows what you need. Just put your trust in God right now. Father, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. May you feel that need. You know what that person needs even before they ask of you. So, Father, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. May you break through for them. And may they know, Father, that it is you that has done this thing for them. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for being there. Let's be again. Let's be together again next Sunday at 10 o'clock uh, Central African time. But you can always, you know, watch this anytime because it's on Facebook and it's also on YouTube. But leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about the sermon. Tell us your thoughts. would love to connect with you. God bless you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Kairos Lolongwe podcast. I trust you've been blessed. Please do us a favor and share this podcast with friends on Facebook, Twitter, WhatsApp, and whatever social media you're on. May the Lord break you through into your kingdom destiny. Blessings.